0: to create a listener account and in that listener account you can save episodes for later listening so you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today.
1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. I'm your host Dr. Dave O'Brien from City University London. This week we'll be talking to the author of No Matter, Theories and Practices of the Ephemeral in Architecture, Dr. Anastasia Caridino, From the School of Architecture, University of Portsmouth, UK. Okay, great. So uh, we're doing something unusual for New Books uh, in Critical Theory this week. We're in a cafe in Islington in in London. Uh, Usually when I do these things, I don't get to meet uh, the Mm -hmm. person I'm speaking to. Uh, It's usually, you know, kind of if they're American or Australian, it's usually over the internet. So it's a pleasure to kind of sit down and have a cup of tea with one of the authors. Um, So would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners?
0: Yeah. First of all, I'd like to thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great (laughs) pleasure meeting you and taking part in this fantastic blog you're working on um, um, so um, I'm an architect and a senior lecturer at the University of Portsmouth
1: uh, you are
0: oh, sorry yeah uh, my name is Anastasia Carandino um, I few years I've worked as a practicing architect, researcher and also I've been teaching architecture in Portsmouth, at the University of Portsmouth for the last three years more or less. Before that I was in Edinburgh where I was teaching and doing research. Um, so I've lived in the UK for a number of years, in Greece before that. And um, the work that is presented in the book was partly done major part of it was done in Edinburgh between 2005 and 2010, roughly, um, and more recently I uh, published it as
1: a book. Um, is, this, is this the first book you've written, or have you heard
0: other uh, academic papers? It's the first book um, in the form of a kind of monograph or something. Before that, I was the main editor of another book and of a journal issue.
1: That's uh, <laughs> is structured slightly differently from uh, other areas uh, of humanities and critical theory research in the UK whereby uh, there's a lot crossover with practice so architects intend to you know they have their own practices and they might come in one day a week exactly yes so uh, were you working sort of in in the field before you uh, became an academic
0: yes Uh, I was working as an architect and uh, while I was doing research I was still working as a pretty architect I'm um, taking oh. Projects in practice.
1: And he still doing that now? You still got yes. A, a, a yes. How does that work in terms of combining? Well, um, what is a very just, sorry to interrupt but yeah? a very kind of rich, dense, mm-hmm. very theoretically informed text mm-hmm. with the demands of a client or you know, some, someone who wants something you know built or something like yes. that? How does, how does that work those two those two worlds? Well,
0: um, one could say that these two worlds are quite different. But at the same time, one could say that they're not that different. And to be honest, I couldn't imagine myself doing just one or just the other. In my mind, one informs the other, and um, all the collaborations I've got in academia inform my work in practice, and all the collaborations I've got in practice inform my work in academia. But um, um, I can understand that this is not really kind of straightforward.
1: <laughs> But, yes, I understand completely. And I think this two worlds is shown quite clearly in the book as well. Uh, so I'll turn to the book now, which is called No Matter, uh, Theories and Practices of the Ephemeral in Architecture. Uh, and... I think I said earlier it's a fascinatingly kind of rich, in depth, and detailed text because it covers um, both, I suppose, people's individual experiences of the built environment, but also it has very specific um, points to make about architecture theory as well. Um, And one of the ways you do that is through um, setting up an argument that architecture theory depends on particular divisions uh, and particular ideas.
0: That's absolutely right. Um, the main idea of the book has to do with this kind of paradox, exactly what you present, that as several theorists have argued, architecture is on one hand something that is experienced, something that sometimes remains in the background, People experience it by habit, by being in it, by encountering spaces, by living through spaces. And on the other hand, one could say that architecture is perceived as a world of ideas and concepts, or in other words, as an interesting form, or as an image, or as. A building or a construct that one perceives by focusing his or her attention to it. Um, Walter Benjamin describes it quite clearly when he, uh, this uh, kind of idea, when he talks about buildings being perceived, being experienced in a twofold way by So, on one hand, uh, one can experience buildings by paying attention to them, and on the other hand, he is experiencing them more w- without focusing on them, by living in them. Uh, Bernard Sumi talks about a similar thing when he's using the metaphor of eroticism. That buildings um, um, that buildings are on one hand perceived as a concept, and on the other hand, they are lived in. That as a paradox, because what he says is that one cannot simultaneously position himself away from the construct contemplate upon it and at the same time be um, almost unintentionally immersed in it. So there's a paradox. We cannot be in these two conditions immersed in these two entirely different conditions simultaneously.
1: So is this where the idea of the the ephemeral comes in and is useful then or is the ephemeral something completely different?
0: The ephemeral in this book has a notion uh, in it's analyzed and is uh, described and discussed in a number of different ways. With the notion of ephemeral, or rather, I'll present the other way around. Okay. That I was initially looking at are notions such as the intangible in architecture, the atmospheric, the ambience, the um, elusive. So, these aspects of space that we cannot quite represent or grasp, those that remain in the background.
1: And are they the things that make sense of something being lived in rather than something being looked at, something being experienced visually? That sounded like a qualified yes.
0: Um, Yes, that's right. What exactly do you mean by that?
1: When you were drawing those uh, distinctions from Moss Benjamin and Shoei as well, it struck me that um, there was a distinction between, I suppose, almost how the architect and how. Discourses of architects see buildings and discuss them in the visual terms, almost as a sort of, of aesthetic uh, ideas, whereby we understand buildings, we think, oh, that's hideous, or you know, oh, that's looks lovely, that's lends lensing with the background, these kinds of things. And then, opposed to that, is the lived reality or experience. Yeah, as you say, atmospheric ideas, yeah. and the two, well, two different poles yeah. that you know, as yeah. you say, the, the, the can't exist in both.
0: Yeah. The way you describe it is really, really interesting because one could respond to that that yes, the way we experience space in our everyday life is the latter through immediate experience. However, one could also argue that some of that it's, it's something.
1: So I started kind of, you stopped doing tracks when you were explaining ephemeral in the body. You said it's a piece of it. You use it in lots of different ways. So could you say, sort of, how
0: of the research so my purpose was to examine these intangible qualities and in the process of examining them different types of experiments and processes were Um, Present or I don't apply the theory in a specific case study. It's rather that
1: the
0: theory is informing a process um, that um,
1: is raising some questions. sense when you hack uh, it like that because the book is both full of questions um, but also I think because of its theoretical basis tries not to start off with a linear straightforward narrative of here is a problem, here is how I will solve it which you know is quite common to arrange range sort of and social science thinking but also I think it's quite common in architectural terms as well in kind of the design, engineering and how that um, set of questions plays out, I think uh, there's a range of things I'd like to talk to you The first one is, is that kind of theoretical basis, the theoretical starting point. So you mentioned Walter Benjamin, another important uh, theoretical set of ideas is that kind of dirty uh, idea about the kind of the rhizome, you know, unfolding rather than having kind of linear straight lines. So I just wonder if you could comment on Actually, I am...
0: into certain questions. As you said, one could design as an experiment, let's say, uh, almost scientific experiment, and conduct them and come up with some results. Another way is to let the questions lead to specific specific actions. We could also pose some experiments, but which are designed in a fairly open way. So, we didn't start with a very... In in this book, I I didn't start with a very specific hypothesis of what the output, the outcome, the results should be or would be. Um, engage in a number of processes and let the process reveal aspects of the space, of the questions. For example, when I was conducting the sound uh, recording experiment, it was a very... We say project in the sense that I was prepared to have negative outcomes, like in science with an experiment, and then there is no... valuable outcome, Um, which still would be an interesting thing to observe. In that case, maybe I wouldn't include it in the book, but it would still be an interesting thing to do. So, for example, in that section of the book, my question was, as architects, we generally focus on the visual, and that's great, that's fine, that's um, uh, very valuable is, if for a while we focus on the sonic, would that tell us something about space, the city, the way we experience our environment, or not? So, in order to address this type of questions, Okay, the only way is to go and do something with sound in cities, such as reports in specific places, specific routes, and then collect a number of experiments with, uh, in relation to that, one of the experiments, for example, was to invite a number of volunteers and ask them to listen to these recordings and transcribe what they thought they heard. And a number of very interesting outcomes appeared. Then, at a the later stage, I tried to transcribe sound recordings into visual diagrams, visual graphs, and see if that would reveal something about the place that other media and other processes wouldn't reveal. And again, there are some things revealed, although I have to say other stages of the experiment were much more successful, like the stages were. The sound was displayed together with the maps. That gave a better understanding of
1: the places it this, this, You're talking about the chapter it's beyond the visual versus the non-visual, side so, like, of the senses. you've introduced that uh, division in life. Kind of, actually Jack Derrida on this the privileging of the visual in, in architecture and the kind of relegating the non-visual. And those sonic experiments were designed to sort of disrupt vision. But it was very interesting that it played out across you know, kind of gallery installations, across interactions with individuals, with mapping projects as well. Uh, and for a critical theory, book, it was fascinating that it was so important. Empirical. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't just a kind of, uh, broader reflection on architecture theory, but actually it was a mm-hmm.
0: set of practices. As you said, it started from um, the way the book is organized is around three main chapters each one of these three chapters is uh, discussing one specific dichotomy uh, one specific binary position I'm using I'm referring to Derrida's model of binary positions he says that um, usually in such dichotomies, one notion is proving in the secondary notions. Uh, for example, form, matter, both are fundamental in the architecture traditionally. But um, throughout architecture and history, form is associated with the conceptual, the idea, uh, the visual, and matter is associated with the experiential, the senses, the everyday, the female, and so on. So, what David says is that, for, is that for, in order to open up a dichotomy Actually, what sometimes happens is that the secondary notion is elevated into primary evolution. So, um, when this is done, usually a third notion is introduced, which opens up this dichotomy. For example, I'm referring to chapter 3, which is actually the second the one.
1: Substantive, yeah. And this is beyond the formal versus the material, the, the idea of the And
0: in that case, um, the ephemeral, which is used like as the title of the book, is here uh, discussed in the form of the notion of the performative. So the notion of the performative in this section is introduced to open up the dichotomy between the form and the matter. To, to, to uh, describe some parts of the discussion of this chapter in simple words, one could think um, of some specific buildings. Let's say the Blair project of Diller and Scopidi, a fantastic project built uh, several years ago.
1: And where, and where is this? If you could say a bit more detail about that.
0: Okay, it's um the, the I'm referring to this specific example because this building was actually made of evaporated water. Water. It was. It looked like a cloud
1: yeah.
0: uh, above the lake. So actually, form and matter. Well, what was form? What was matter? It was evaporated water. It was in a constant state of change. Other examples could be Tokyo wind tower, where. Um, sensors and microphones were capturing the speed of the wind and the sound of the city and the tower was lit in different ways based on what was happening in the border area.
1: And, and which city is this because I mean people want to read the book and see me the diagrams
0: so. Yes.
1: Whereabouts is that? Um,
0: so wind I think it is I do really be distinguished.
1: And you have the same sort of experimental method here, so uh, the book, I mean, this is difficult to illustrate on a podcast, but the book is full of really interesting uh, photographs and uh, pictorial representations of things like mapping projects, uh, you know, the, the kind of urban change, the way kind of demolitions uh, change landscapes, the building sites change landscapes as well, um, and just kind of mapping projects uh, that go along with this too. Um, so I wonder if you could say, again, on the kind of, um, the distinction between um, formal and material and the idea of a formative, how, how do the experiments get to grips with the idea of a formative, how do they engage with the idea of a That's slightly the wrong question. Maybe you could just say a bit about what the experiments were. <laughs> so what was, the, well, what was the performance of Matthew? The, the,
0: were, um, yeah, the question is absolutely right. The... Um, The notion of the performative was addressed through a number of experiments again, through a number of mappings where what was mapped was not only what was static in the city, like buildings, roads, bridges and so on, or even just some specific formal functions. What... had attempted to map with my colleagues at the time was to map the very specific experiences uh, we had within the city so our attempt was to reperform through a mapping process our journey there so it was not a map of
1: a place or a territory it was not a
0: map of Yeah. It was not the final object what mattered, but it was the understanding that the process, this of map making, revealed.
1: And the sort of process takes place across a whole kind of eclectic range of cities across the world. Um, it's very interesting. Kind of, you know, you talked about being in Edinburgh. from all different parts of the world and quite And I think this eclecticism um, is a route into the other kind of major uh, topic that you get towards which is the question of digital and social media and it's it is the kind of fourth and final substantive chapter you know beyond the physical versus the digital the hybrid. And I I still have a couple of questions about that, but I wonder if you could just talk us through what's going on in that um, that division between physical and digital and the idea behind that. Of, uh,
0: I also present some discussions around one of the main questions set in the book, which also presented in the back cover, um, which was one of my initial questions when I started my piece of research. So, my question was, in contemporary world, where there are so many different digital media involved, Everyday lives, like mobile phones, GPS systems, smartphones, um, wireless networks that we connect to in different parts of the city, um, a range of different gadgets, media technologies, and so on. So my question was, uh, how does the emergence of media influence our way of thinking about space? What are the implications of those media in our everyday experience of space, um, uh, the way in which we map and interpret spaces, the way in which we design spaces as architects. So that was a very broad question. Mm -hmm. And again, the answer could have been, well, it doesn't really matter. So by conducting a number of experiments throughout uh, this research time, uh, which are presented in this chapter, but not only, some are in previous chapters. But digital media mainly influences us as a tool to think with about space. And because through these media, time, temporality, can be mapped more accurately, um, Then the, the notion of the ephemeral in time is introduced in the design process uh, in a more, in a substantial way. For example, again, a very, very simple example could be that a few years ago we couldn't very easily make animations of spaces. We couldn't visualize how it would feel like walking in a space. This is a very, very simple example. Other examples are, have to do with previous experiments that i referred to. For example, in the past, it would be really difficult to map accurately the sound of spaces. If these experiments uh, binaural microphones were used, so a very accurate um, recording of the sound of the surround sound was uh, mapped. So this would have been more difficult with the technologies of the past. Mm.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Making
0: websites.
1: I'm having to do that. With, you know, more, yes. Analog or onto tape. But, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the possibility with our very kind of
1: uh, and also the the use of the sites as well so you know the photographs in China you know that would have been sort of much more difficult if you hadn't to take lots and lots of equipment with you out of the sites
0: yes and at the stage of um, analyzing the findings and experimenting with um, the way of working with them having the possibility to make websites so easily and create an entirely different type of narrative than the one You make when you make a video or a book or a text. Um, So, representing, for example, in the the section of the sound mappings of Edinburgh, um, a number of websites were produced where you could click in parts of the city and you could listen to the sounds and then try to reflect on how that relates to a specific location and so on. So, this wouldn't have been possible, it wouldn't be so easy, or it wouldn't be a tool to think with for us 20 years ago. just the, you
1: know, it's the sort
0: of,
1: like, the, the relationship with, you know, the kind of, work in Edinburgh in the same chapter just the kind of visual non-visual chapter you know you've got that kind of relationship with Venice the Greek pavilion which in turn you know is a kind of exciting, interactive or, intervention yes but it's a site in Venice that is about you know, Athens and is you know attempting to kind of sonically represent Athens in another city in the context of an international art bear. so as you identify all of these both I suppose the research methods but also many of the research objects are made possible plausible by, by name, which is very interesting because um, I think this is something that perhaps... Uh, in the design of built environment space you know we have these questions about maybe environmental standards or you know, what will it look like but there isn't a question of, you know, how are the everyday practices that are experiencing these transformations around things like being sat in an East London Cafe recording this how is that impacting on our architecture yes it's a very interesting observation it, it's
0: really Everyday life and experience of things Um, that's that's exactly what you said like a few years ago maybe we wouldn't sit in a cafe to have this discussion it wouldn't have been so easy we wouldn't have these gadgets already available to us Um, so uh, in that section of the book as you said um, my observations is that digital media function as tools to think with about space and also about space through time. So the notion of time is introduced um, in this way. And um, to, to, to look at it as you said like in the past it's not only that these media were not so um, available so easily it's also that traditionally there was this um, perception that the digital digital Something kind of opposite to the tactile the senses. <laughs> That's another traditional dichotomy that I am questioning or examining. You know, on one hand, we have, the, we have the tactile experience of things, very immediate experience of things, of the physical world, and on the other hand, we have the um, world of um, digital media, the virtual. So, if we think of the um, text of uh, Johann Palasma, he reflects upon the thinking hand. And my understanding of this text is that what he says, and I kind of agree to that, one cannot replace this immediate relation to the hand as a medium of expression. Okay. Now, one could argue, though, that specific new media could. Instead of limiting this
1: experience the immediate uh, relationship
0: exactly they could even enhance it in specific cases for example you're probably familiar with the 3D pens Mm -hmm. Um, I'm referring to two different types Uh, there is one where you hold the pen and you draw in three dimensions and this is represented in a virtual world in the computer but there's also the new kind of 3D pen which is still in an experimental stage where with some sort of material synthetic material you draw as if you make a model 3D no, I've not seen
1: that, so. drawing Quite crazy. so
0: this very immediate tactile sense of the hand can be now used in three dimensions and in the future it may be
1: the technology will. And again, it's interesting that kind of transformation in architectural terms of uh, you know, the phases of drawing and model you know, and so on and so forth, they get broken down, and those, again, that kind of you know, Doridian opposition just starts to disappear when you get new things down. It's really interesting. One of the, um, one of the points. Um, I was interested in uh, right across the book before, sort of about the way you include or actually don't include uh, the book, is the problem sort of representing this stuff in the text, and um, it's something that uh, obviously to Derrida, as you know, sort of starting point, of view, people like Benjamin as well, and all the technical the like this theoretical end uh, kind of there, there is an interesting question about these things are uh, very heavily concerned with representation, and you're talking about it, digital, sonic performance in the three main chapters of the book, and yet it's a book. It's you know we we both have copies in front of us. It's a material object. You know, it's got that kind of weight that a hardback book. Does so. I wonder how did you sort of get to grips with, I guess, collating all of this learning, all of this, you know, kind of information and getting it into a book, you know, in a form that has a beginning, has an end, has pages, pictures, letters, and and like
0: that. That's a very interesting question. Uh, One could say that the question. question almost impossible question in the sense that I'm trying to explore what resists analytical representation. So one could say that actually what the process that I followed in order to explore that cannot be mapped themselves either. I argue that by presenting the processes, the events, the experiments, one is in some sense becoming exposed to those and experiences space in...
1: Sort of, I guess, in the revelation, in the presentation, you can't sort of unlearn what you've read. You can't forget the knowledge that you've got from reading a book. So you have that sense of, I know what these experiments have been. I have some understanding of the experiments, and so my relationship with space is is changed almost because of that.
0: Katie Lloyd Thomas presents in one of her books that, you know, this book, or any book, or any building, she's using the example of the book, which I find quite successful. It is not just, it's. Content. well it is, it's content, the narrative, the stories that it tells but actually as an object it's called got some materiality so the other day my students had asked me to give a lecture and present the book to them so it just started by well, you wanted to talk about this book this book weighs like 200 grams it's made of paper parts of it possibly recycled but it says here like ethically sourced or something um, it has been printed a few Miles south from London. A number of people worked from it, from different countries, from different places. Katie Lloyd Thomas is using the example of both the book and the building. What matters not only what it represents, what story it tells, but also what it does. She was also referring to buildings. A building is not only a finished object, it's also a number of processes it activates in order to be built. It's the number of workers who work there, technicians, contractors, builders, architects, engineers, engineers, um, They come from different places, the materials the building is made of come from different parts of the world. All these stories and all these events are part of the building, or in other words, are what the building has done. Now, this may be not answering the question in a straightforward way, but what I want no, to say is that through this book, I present a number of processes that I followed um, with several colleagues I worked with uh, throughout those years and I map those processes so the narrative is not a linear narrative on purpose it's a narrative that is disrupted by things that happen experiments that happen outputs that are unanticipated Um, so in some sense it is a designed process it is designed though in a fairly open way so as to allow for unanticipated things to be encountered and revealed.
1: I see. And this is quite clearly shown in conclusion, which is not a conclusion. <laughs> so the book it is quite explicit about not having a concluding chapter that says, and here's what you just read, I hope it makes sense, it says there are lots more questions now and we need to think about them instead of reviewing and kind of concluding. So I guess um, this takes me to this question of where are you going to go next with both what's in the book and potential new projects Um, and I suppose is your future work going to be still in this line of sort of disruption of urban experiments um, and raising kind of questions for architecture theory? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Well... Before I move to that, I would like to ask if somebody reads the book and has any objections, comments. Um, I'm more than happy if they contact me to let me know what they think and any mistakes they've made, anything they entirely disagree with, I would be absolutely perfectly happy with that and really enthusiastic actually uh, now concerning what I'm doing now to be honest it is not a linear continuation of this um, this book had come out of some like genuine questions I had about architecture mm. like as architects well what do we do in this world you know what do we design actually there's so many things that are beyond our control Jeremy Till describes yeah. This whole thing so accurately and in such a very good way in this book, Architecture. So, um, my question was oh, what is Can we examine in any way, or can we experience, or how could we encounter the ephemeral, atmospheric, intangible aspects of space? And as we discussed a while ago, the second question was how do new media influence the way in which we approach and design space? So, and then I argue that these two are linked, and one informs the other so when this book when I started writing this book working on this research um, a number of books were published really at the same time within 10 years uh, on different aspects of the ephemeral intangible immaterial in architecture and I found that quite interesting so there is an obvious link between that the inquiry about the ephemeral the intangible and the emergence of a new media so, now, um, working on a one could say entirely different project. You can tell me if there's anything to do with my previous research. Um, I'm I collaborate with a neurophysiologist from Queen Alexander Hospital uh, Dr. Christopher Moore and a number of colleagues from health sciences and psychology in the University of Portsmouth and we are starting conducting some experiments with brain wave mapping Um, we are using this new portable EG device EG this have no. been commercially available and yeah. <laughs> map brain activity and you walking around the city. So the first team, to the best of my knowledge, that started working on that was um, Richard Coyne, Professor Richard Coyne from Edinburgh, who was also my PhD supervisor at the time. So together with his colleagues, they had started working on that, uh, and their research and papers were really, really inspiring. So with my colleagues were working in the same broader area and were trying to compare the brain responses in real environments, in physical environments and in digital, virtual environments now this is still in experimental stages so again, I don't know to what extent this method will reveal us something or will really offer us a better understanding about space, however we define it my colleagues really exciting as a question we can quite easily monitor the different types of waves while people explore, walk in the city, explore different environments, or are in front of the computer and navigate in specific virtual environments. So the question is, if... Uh, design very specific experiments through which we could map the brain response to very specific incentives like a change of light, change of sound, change of color. In a controlled lab environment and in the city, in first few experiments could let us know if this tool and method could be explored further. Mm.
1: So very, very kind of exploratory research about uh, I suppose, yeah. even just testing the technology as much as uh, testing theory mm-hmm. uh, and kind of practical mm-hmm. results.
0: Mm-hmm. The other interesting aspect about this new project yeah. is that it well, couldn't be even uh, start without a very close collaboration between neurologists, neurophysiologists and architects. Because it's not just two different disciplines inputting their um, knowledge, it's just that even the experiments could not be designed without a very, very close interaction and collaboration. So um, that's another really interesting aspect that through this project our yeah. intention is also to explore cross disciplinary oh, the potential of cross disciplinary
1: collaborations and research. And will you be doing this for a year, three years? If- uh,
0: um, this has not been defined yet. We're starting some experiments and we'll see how it goes if we figure out that yeah. there's of potential we'll carry on examining that if we see that actually it is not really Mm, revealing something interesting enough, maybe we will um, leave it for now. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know how long we will be working on that.
1: We shall see. That's really interesting. So, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank
0: you Anastasia very
1: much. Uh, we've been talking about no matter the theories and practices of the ephemeral in architecture. Thanks for listening to New Books in Critical Theory. I've been your host, Dr. David O'Brien from City University London, and we've been talking to Dr. Anastasia Caledino about her new book, No Matter, Theories and Practices of the Ephemeral in Architecture. Thanks for listening.